Welcome to the Architect of Change Show with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman and Associates. Now, here's Connie. Hi, I'm Connie Whitman, your host, and you're listening to Architect of Change on webtalkradio.net. Thank you so much again for joining me this week. My motivational quote for today is by Sidney J. Harris, and it says, The two words, information and communication, are often used interchangeably, but they signify quite different things. Information is giving out. Communication is getting through. You know, we go to our office or our cubicle at work, and we put our nose to the grindstone. We don't look up, perhaps maybe just to run to the ladies' room, the men's room, or maybe to fill your cup of coffee or your water, uh, water bottle. Forget about sitting in endless meetings where most of the time the leaders of the organization tell everyone in the room what is going to happen and how everyone is going to go about implementing the, initi- uh, the initiative. Are you allowed to have a voice or an opinion if you see a better, more effective and efficient way to roll out the initiative? Are you supposed to speak and share your thoughts or ideas? Or is your organization's culture about keeping your head down and flying under the radar? Today, our discussion is about creating a sense of community and shaping organizational culture. We're going to cover how to qualify, I'm sorry, we're going to cover how the quality of our interactions and the quality of our discussions actually drive business decisions, enable innovation, and shape the direction of the business and the long-term success of the organization as well as its employees. Today, we're talking with Maria Sedio. She is the founder of Corp Talk, a communication and strategy leadership program that engages companies, and she also is the founder of WASH, which is a narrative platform for women's leadership. So, Maria, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Thank you, Connie. I'm really pleased to be here, and um, welcome to everyone who's listening. Yeah, and, and that quote, when I found that quote, you know, and after our discussion, you know, of, of preparing for what the topic was going to be and how we were breaking it out, I thought, wow, does that not nail <laughs> what we're going to talk about today, that whole information dump versus really we're talking about the communication component, which is critical. Yes, it does, and it makes all the difference in the world. And so very often people will think that they are communicating Mm-hmm. But um, actually, they're just kind of uh, dumping or moving information, and, and it's not being received um, in a way that can be productive or useful or transformative, ideally. Yeah, and it's funny. And when I do my training, we talk a lot about communication and listening skills in particular. And the one thing I always say is you have two ears, one mouth, right? So we should be listening twice as much as we speak in reality that we function in most people just take turns talking at each other we really don't listen while you're speaking i'm thinking well what's the next bring a question i can ask instead of being present and mindful of the conversation you know that that that's happening at the moment so it's really scary how and what goes on and and you know we're talking about corporate life today but mm-hmm. think about it it happens in our personal lives as well so to kick off the show I, I want to ask you, um, you know, core values and internal corporate conversations. Let's let's let that be the first uh, topic that we talked about. So, what got you started with corp corp talk, and um, how did you have the idea? 
Well, you know, um, it's interesting. My foundational training is in family therapy, so I've been a licensed family therapist for many years, but I work um, in organizations, and I've also developed a, um, training in organizational development over the years. But what that really means um, is that I study systems thinking, how the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, and oh. social psychology. And as a, as a, in, in my training, I spent thousands, literally, of hours studying patterns of communication, relational dynamics, um, and change. Videotaping both my own sessions and watching other um, trainees or um, very accomplished master therapists through one-way mirrors. So... In addition, I would call myself a narrative therapist by training, and that means that I look at the ways in which language, thought, sensory experience, and emotion weave together into our stories and our conversations to really um, shape who we are, our identities, and also um, how we be, how we experience the world and each other. So... I, I ended up transferring this knowledge base when I founded Corp Talk about 20 years ago because I saw how the workplace was affecting families and how many of the problems were more centered around the stressors that people were bringing back home um, from the workplace, uh, you know, whether it, um, it was the, 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 the stress and frustration of a day at work or the, simply the hours and the uh, level of travel and and such. So anyway, that's, all of that has actually increased over the 20 years, those, those pressures and um, yeah. travel and, and such. But I also saw how corporations as collective entities made the decisions and influence policies that affect all our lives. And I was very interested in influencing at that level. I've always seen that separation between work and life as yeah. and, and not we uh, talk, real. And we talk a lot about um, I know I'm on different platforms, you know, through LinkedIn, et cetera. And not only on the female side, but on the male side as well, the stressors at work are crazy. And trying to find that work-life integration is not an easy thing to do because, let's face it, if you're stressed out at home, one of your children are, are sick or something, how do you not bring that to work? And vice versa, if you have these deadlines and these pressures and you're working nonstop, and then you come home, not only are you exhausted, but you're, you're here, but you're thinking about, oh, my God, what do I need to do tomorrow now to, to meet that deadline or, or whatever um, is happening? So it's very, very hard to, to segregate. So I love that you were able to take the psychology because it, here's the funny thing, right? We're humans, whether we're at work or we're at home. We're still human right. beings. And we have emotions and we're complicated, um, but that stress, and it's, I, I laugh when you said over the 20 years, the stress has exponentially kind of increased. So the communication, I think, becomes even a more inter integral part of release, releasing or minimizing the stress. We'll never, we'll never get rid of it, certainly, but, but how can we minimize it? So my next question is, you know, when we initially spoke, you, you had spoken to me about um, the importance to have conversations about inter and intra-company dynamics and the individual, which is a complicated sentence. But why is this emphasis on the conversation as an approach? Why do you think it's so important? Well, 
I think everybody can relate to, um, you know, uh, going to work some days and feeling like uh, you're you're in a horror movie, right? You know, Night of the Living <laughs> Dead, where everybody's just kind of walking through, but not really experiencing, not really showing up. Maybe and 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 very often for good reason. Maybe you showed up, you know, all the other times, and uh, your ideas were disqualified or uh, or worse yet mocked, or or maybe um, uh, you know you're looking around, you're seeing everybody else, and that's the code of behavior. So you step in line, assuming that that's what should be, or uh, you know by default it just occurs, but. Um, Conversations are like living systems. For me, they have the similar attributes and organizing principles. So when people are talking about things that are meaningful in ways that are meaningful, in ways that are safe and trusting, these important conversations, kind of game-changing conversations that generate innovation, you know, breakthrough collaborations, they come alive, and you can feel the difference. Today, as you referenced before, we just spoke about everyone's exhausted. There's too much to do and too much to take in. We're all drowning in information. You don't know what's important. You don't know what's relevant or timely because the speed of information, this information glut, is is just so advanced. We're connected to technology, which uh, you know, around the clock, which doesn't help not only for our, uh, you know, our ability to really think through the information that we're taking in and ground it, but also physiologically, we're, we're burnt out and the effects of, uh, you know, um, uh, the uh, technology 24-7 are taking a toll. So if you yeah, look around and you look at the data. And Maria, I just, based, wanna, I, just, I yeah. just want to comment on that, that 24-hour technology also. The, you know, I know executives that sleep very little, right? So if they have a thought at 2 a.m. and they're awake, right, the phone is right there. We all have the phone with our alarms for the morning by the bedside table. But these folks have an, a thought, an idea, whatever, and they will email, well, they would text or email, whatever, their team of people or their go-to person wow. and say, you know, tomorrow we need to do blah, blah, blah. And this is the funny thing. I think that they're having the thought, they're putting it out there so they don't forget, they don't have to write it down, it's easier for them, and then they could go back to sleep, right? That's how they're, they're kind of wired. The people who receive those messages feel the need to respond. So they always have their sounds up so that if they do get these email or text during the night, that they can respond. I, I think that that's ridiculous because I really don't think that someone who doesn't need a lot of sleep or, or whatever does not expect someone at 2 a.m. to respond. I don't think any rational executive or boss or whatever you want to call them. I really don't think they're uh, yeah. sitting there waiting I think for typically what you're saying is, is accurate. But in some cases, it's actually not, even though they would uh, say, no, I didn't expect you to answer that. There is underlying it, yeah. an implicit yeah. expectation that people will be available to the cause, right? People will do everything and anything to achieve the outcome. And, of course, that mentality actually undermines the opportunity to achieve outcomes. It really uh, is counterproductive. So, you know, if you look at the debt, we're generally exhausted, insecure, <laughs> and worried workforce. That's, that's just if you <laughs> the data shows that. And that's, so and, their and best that's exactly work. that's that's exactly I think what people responding to the email they're afraid if they don't 
they're going to be in trouble or look or frowned upon. So what? Well, yeah, that was beautifully said. I'm sorry to interrupt you. It just not at all. Concept. But I yeah, mean, part of what we're talking. Yeah, and part of what we're talking about today, I think, you know, um, why we do this work is to say, stop the insanity. We can do more. We can do it better. We can be more creative, more innovative, more effective, but we have to become more mature. We, we yeah. really have to know the, uh, the um, discipline of leading, the discipline of working collaboratively in a global um, uh, workplace. We need to change and understand how much we can do just by using ourselves differently, just by having better conversations, by putting issues out, discussing them. So in the case that you just described, to sit down with that boss and say, you know, when I get that um, ping, on my email, I feel compelled to answer. And I, I know you'll tell me that's not so important, but when I see everybody else answered you, it's really hard to step back. Can we work together as a team, all of us, to just put a boundary around when we'll send and receive emails? That's and great. you know very well, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you know very well, listen, it's, going, it's not going to be nine to five. Today that doesn't exist, but it has to be more reasonable, and it has to be in a way that people can connect to their families. They can regenerate. The brain needs to rest. The brain needs to regenerate. We get our best ideas in the downtime, and without that, you have probably seen, um, and I'm sure everyone listening has had the experience of being so wound in a project or wound in a problem and not having the mo- a time uh, to step back, get better perspective. So, you know, you're actually digging the hole. Deeper. It's true, and it just becomes harder to get out, but it also it's harder for clarity. It's harder to de-stress. We just it, – it's um, – remember when you were a kid and you would sit on a swing and you would spin it, spin it, spin it, spin it, and then you would lift your feet up and you'd spin around the other way? It's like we're spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning, but we're never letting go to feel the whoosh, you know, that feeling of freedom. We never let go, so we just get wound tighter and tighter and tighter. It's, it's crazy. It's really crazy. Yes, yes. That's, let's, let's that take that a, is exactly let's, the, uh, the, del- right. the delirious effect um, yeah. for, for many. I don't think yeah. anyone's immune. Um, ideally, you know, um, some uh, less and, and, um, and uh, others uh, um, will uh, learn to do uh, differently. Yeah, and let's take a quick break. But when we come back, first of all, that was a great, recommendation as to, again, my example with the emails in the middle of the night and what have you. What a great recommendation, though. Have a conversation. That's what we're talking about, right? Go in, have a logical conversation about what are those boundaries so that we can all abide by them because you're right. If everyone else is responding to the email and I think, well, I'm going to make a point. I'm not going to respond to the email. I look like a jerk, you know, and I'm looking looked down upon. Right. So I think having a conversation with the entire group to say, what are the boundaries? Beautiful recommendation. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm very curious to see how you typically get buy-in from management or senior leaders, or do you get pushback 
um, to we're talking you're talking about transformation, which I love. How do we get the buy-in? So we come back. Let's talk about that. Okay. Great. It's a shame when you're feeling stuck in your business and you feel like you have nowhere to turn. It's a shame when you slog through long days in your business and you don't get any return. It's a shame when you feel like you can't see the forest for the trees and your business brings you to your knees. Einstein said repeating the same actions over and over won't produce different results. So stop feeling ashamed. Your business and you deserve better. Change that shame into righteous fame. Connie Whitman can tame that shame. Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates will help you to discover your new path, and nothing will ever be the same. Connie's tried and true one-on-one coaching sessions will tame that shame so you and your business will not continue in vain. Call Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates today at 732-888-1420. That's 732-888-1420. Or email Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. Call Connie. Turn that shame into your game. Okay, we are back. We are with Maria Setio, and we're talking about corporate communication. I think that's that's the simplest way to describe it. So, Maria, explain how how you get buy-in, if you get buy-in, or do you typically see more pushback? I'm really curious. Well, I think um, I have definitely gotten buy-in. I've been um, lucky enough over the years and um, to introduce a very different model. Uh, very, you know, it's a narrative change model, um, and I introduced it at a time where um, it was a very radical idea that conversations or, you know, core business process, that conversations um, are where you should primarily put your attention. If you recall, back in the 90s, 80s, and before, they would say, stop talking and get back to work, right? Yes, yes. Um, in some places, that still occurs. So um, it was... It, it was it was pretty radical at the time, and also it was so much more than just saying um, this isn't chit chat. Although chit chat is important, it's a component, and sometimes chit chat that seemingly inconsequential conversation that you have, you know, with the water cooler, is what helps you forge, you know, a better idea or a better collaboration in a meeting where the stakes are higher or the energy is hotter. So um, I, I, I don't, um, I wouldn't cast it aside, but we're not talking only about chit-chat. We're talking about really uh, much deeper, um, more powerful conversations because they're conversations that bring um, differences to the table. So, so how, do you, um, how do you get management to buy into that? Um, well, I, you start. All right, start with a clear um, roadmap. So at CorpTalk, we have a very clear roadmap that we've developed and and, uh, um, trialed over the years to solid success. I've taught um, many of our companies to use these roadmaps, and it starts with the conversation. And once they see how everything that they're doing really pivots on the quality of the conversations they're having, and you do maybe a what you might call a post-mortem, or you look at where are the problems, where are the pain points, where are the issues, what's really keeping you up at night? Inevitably, it is, well, people aren't collaborating together. People aren't communicating. They're not sharing information. We have silos. Well, all of those, um, all of those pain points relate to a disconnect. And mm-hmm. so we go about looking at connecting. And 
not just plugging things in, but really what does it take to collect two dif- uh, connect two different functions who traditionally have some real grievances with each other who may have agendas that are competing and undermining their efforts actually to work well together. Well, many of these problems do get, get um, well, they, they surface where we're able to examine them. And if we can do this with the skill sets that are required and with a maturity and a mindfulness that allows us to say, okay, these are real issues. How do we come about solving them? Because ultimately we're all in the game together. We all want to have solid outcomes. We all want to succeed. What needs to change? And when you think about senior leaders, I've been very, very lucky. I've worked with some of the most incredible business leaders, um, I, uh, people I really admire because well, early on I decided that if I was going to uh, foray into corporations, I was only going to do work with people I really admired, um, people I really trusted. So I, I, have a, <laughs> I have my own mantra. I do work I love with people I love. I try to get paid fairly, and that's, that's um, built my business over the years. Yeah, that's um, well said. And I yeah. recommend it. When people say yeah. they're working with people they don't respect or like, I say don't. And don't change it's, that. It's funny. When I first started my business, this is many years ago, and I met with one of the CEOs of a local um, bank, you know, in New Jersey. And I went and I didn't like him. And here's the deal, you know, grow up, right? You're in business. You're not going to like everyone you meet. So the thing that annoyed me is I was speaking with some of his employees who were lower line, the front line, they were tellers, right? And they were talking about how difficult it was to buy shoes for their kids to go back to school. We're talking about how expensive everything was and all of that. He comes in and he starts talking to the teller line, these kids, women, they were really women with children, but he's talking to them about a new car he had purchased. And it was an Aston Martin, which meant it was so funny at the time because it meant nothing to me. So I come home and my husband says, well, how'd it go? You know, I needed new business early. I was just starting out. I'm like, I didn't like the CEO. And, and he looked at me like, all right, grow up. And I said, you know, he kept talking about this car. I said, I don't know. It must be like a Mercedes or something. I didn't know what the car was at the time. And he goes, well, what was the car? And I go, I don't know, like an Aston or an Austin Martin or something like that. So he goes, oh, it's an Aston Martin. I go, what, like a fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 car? He goes, no, it's like one hundred and twenty. Can I tell you, at that moment, Maria, I was appalled. And I said, what? These women, we were talking about buying shoes for the kids to go back to school, but these women didn't have money. And he comes in bragging about this car. I said, oh, my God, yeah. like how disrespectful was that? And you know what? I said to my husband, I can't do it. I, you know what? We need the money, certainly. I can't sell my soul like that and get up in front of his people and say, hey, your CEO cares about you. He doesn't. And I, I walked away from yeah. the business, Maria. And you know yeah. what? For me, that was a turning point with my business where I thought, you know what? I have control now, and I don't have to choose to deal with people like that and and tarnish my name, I guess. And you know what? So we'll eat hot dogs every night for dinner if that's what it takes. But I certainly don't need <laughs> well, to tell my Well, good for you. Yeah. I have to applaud that because I think that um, we live in a culture where people say you can't walk away from the money. Well, of course you can. Of course you can. can. There are other jobs. There are other clients. Of course you can. In fact, I would say you must. You must. If you're not able to do that, then then you are trapped. And if you're trapped, 
you can't be happy, and if you if you can't be happy, you won't be healthy overall, and you and won't it was be funny. successful either. That, and, and, you know, it's funny because at the time, it just didn't feel right to me. That's the best way I could describe it, that here I went into business for myself. I took that risk on so that I can be the decision maker to truly go in and help corporations communicate better with their customers, right? That's what I'm all about. And here he was so anti-communication. It was the polar opposite of me. And I would have tarnished myself had I done it. And at the time, it wasn't that logical of a decision. It just didn't feel right to me. And I always listen to my gut because your gut is always wrong and it steers you in the right direction, right? Um, and I look back now, that is, it was a pivotal moment in truly committing to the business and me taking control of who I wanted to be or who I wanted my company to be, how I wanted to present myself and go in to be, be relevant, but also be credible to employees. And that was a turning point. So that's very interesting, your comment, um, you know, and the decisions we make and why we make them. And you're right, you can walk away. You absolutely can walk away. It's your life. Control it, right? Um, well, I think that in when you have such a we're we're in such a complex, uncertain, dynamic business environment that you have to have you have to have it rooted in values, your own values. You have to be able to explore them, understand how meaningful they are for you. If they're not that meaningful, then you have to dig deeper, you know, dig deep, deep, deep until you really um, figure out who you are, what you're about, or who you are becoming, and and how. Um, you can find that that level of resonance or coherence for yourself in a workplace that that is fraught with, frankly, you know, some ugly behaviors. So, but some okay. wonderful behaviors. By and large, um, most everyone that I've come um, um, to meet through my work and work um, with, I would put them in the category of, you know, people I do. I love them. I love working with them, and Absolutely. I've managed to be paid fairly. And that again is um, is uh, are all principles. And they, if you if you peel them back, there um, there are values that support each of those. But I want to say because you asked, you know, what? How do you get buy-in from management and senior senior leadership? And I have been extraordinarily lucky um, to identify, work with, and and um and and have people seek me out whom I would put in um the top top um categories around integrity um brilliance and just just all all of the things that you would look for in a um client relationship when you're doing deep change work as I do but in general, I think the story that I'd like to share is that when I was a kid, my father um would tell us at the dinner table, and we had a very lively dinner table growing up. You know, he'd say, think for yourself. Think for yourself. You know, if Johnny jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge, would you follow? (laughs) And, you know, that was great. It was great until I got a little older and I began to think for myself. And he was furious. You know, eventually he got over it, but at the time he was furious. And I think that's, um, a little bit of where we are in the developmental cycle of your um, typical um, corporation. Want people to think for themselves. We want them to get out in front and make decisions. We want them to innovate, to be creative. We want them to be all these things. But then when they go and do it, 
and, and for a number of reasons, they go and do it, they hit a wall, and they stop doing it because the organization then responds in a way that is similar to my father becoming furious. Yes. Okay. And so um, what we're looking at right now is building a safe, a, a much bigger, safer corridor for people to step into behavior where they're able to take those risks. And to be fair, if you're a business leader and you're charged with creating that corridor, there's no rule book. There's no formula. It's not a recipe. It is really an art form, and it requires enormous discernment, confidence in, in building the, the skill base, in allowing for some of the messiness, um, in allowing for the transparency around problems that might have been buried in the past because they made everyone uncomfortable when they were put on the table and there were no easy solutions. So it makes sense that that wouldn't be a comfortable journey, but increasingly business leaders, the really good ones, know that this needs to happen. And also, luckily, the people that I work with care that it should happen. They, so they buy, in, they so they the buy into the whole concept, Maria. They're buying into Absolutely. the whole concept. Absolutely. I'm sorry. I think you have to do that, Connie, in order to implement something like this. You have to really buy into the paradigm um, of a, a less uh, hierarchical and a more uh, heterarchical or a, a flatter, more egalitarian organization. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, there there was a commercial, a shampoo commercial many, many years ago when, when I was younger, and it said, you know, she tells two friends and she tells two friends. And then on the TV screen, right. you had, you know, you remember it was Germac or one of those one of those uh, shampoos. But then all of a sudden you start with one person and then you have three <laughs> people right. and then you have five people, ten people, and it just explodes. So when you That's give right. or you empower and you truly believe in the empowerment, and you're hiring the right people right out of the gate, right? So you have the core, you have the core people you're looking for from a skill set. Plus, then you train and, and develop whatever whatever needs to happen That's for right. your culture. But once you have that core, those core folks that you hand chose, you have to empower them because the collaboration around two heads are better than one, three heads are better than two, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, I think that's wonderful that you have these these executive leaders who see the importance that their people really do bring value and without them you're you're not going to be as successful as you could be by unleashing their creativity their problem solving skills whatever it is that their core um you know uh, how they're wired their their core skills that they bring to the table we're not utilizing that like it's crazy i want to just yeah. pause one more brief second and I say to everybody listening, you know, you guys, does this discussion sound familiar with maybe what's happening with your organization? And I really hope that our conversation and Maria's ideas, and when in a minute we're going to talk about tools to change those core leadership principles, so we're going to give you some ideas on how to approach it to, to create the change and make the change stick. But I hope that um, some of the ideas and the approach and the topic that we're discussing 
kind of get your mojo going to say, you know what, maybe there is a better way. Maybe I do need help. Maybe I do need to speak to Maria um, to see if we can remedy, you know, some of the issues within our, our organization. I'm going to give you her website, and as usual, I will also post Maria's website and her email address on the Web Talk Radio link um, on the website so that you can reach out to her and, and if they could call you and pick their pick your brain, right, Maria, to see um, sure. if it's if it's a good Absolutely. fit. Absolutely, conversation, right? We want we That's want correct. to have a conversation. Absolutely. And Maria's email is www.corporatetalkonline.com, and it's corp c o r p talk t a l k online o n l i n e all together all lowercase dot com. Also, I want you guys email me your stories. You know I love hearing your stories, and if you had a situation and you remedied it through some uh, organizational development or organizational tool, share it because you know what? We like to share the wealth and others might benefit. So email me directly at Connie at WhitmanAssos.com. So it's C-O-N-N-I-E at and then the at sign. And then WhitmanAssos is W-H-I-T-M-A-N-A-S-S-O-C.com. So share your stories um, with me as well, and I will discuss them and share them on, on the radio show as well. Okay, so now back to the topic. So talk to us about what are some of the tools that we can change that core, some of the core leadership principles. Well, when, um, again, when I um, started to look at organizations, I wanted to identify what created health in an organization, what created, um, you know, what were the leadership competencies and I ended up identifying three buckets. I mean, all of the research and our experience and the anecdotes really supported three things. People look to follow. Leaders, too, are able to self-manage their emotions. So calm, um, that's the first bucket. We look at emotional intelligence, the ability to self-regulate under stress, the ability to attend to others' experience, um, a level of empathy, and the ability to engage. Confidence is the second bucket or cluster, if you would. Um, you want to have an optimistic outlook. We know that if you believe you can, chances are you will. Um, and um, and that that optimistic outlook is contagious, and if it's not um, expressed through by the leader, uh, people have to really make up for it, and very often they don't. It just becomes the uh, the pall, if you will, over the organization. The mm-hmm. third is competency. People want to work for people who know what they're doing. They want to have confidence that that person really can handle the change if it's a, if it's a leader uh, supporting an organization to um, reposition itself in a dynamic um, industry, et cetera. They want to know that that person is competent. They know what they're doing. So inevitably, we have a, a very big buckets that support each of those three kind of clusters, and there are something you can do. So to people who are listening, and, and to, I, I practice this as well, um, and, and would say invite you as well, Connie. You know, what yes. is one thing I can do when I'm under pressure to self-manage my own pressure? And maybe it's 
you know, uh, taking a deep breath. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's um, meditating or taking a yoga class, or maybe it's running um, or talking to a friend. What is it that I do to self-regulate my emotions so that I don't poison the atmosphere? I Absolutely. don't burden others with my own stress. This is, for me, that's, the, that's crucial. And by the way, uh, uh, you know, I have a mantra, conversation is the cure. Very often, speaking to a trusted advisor, ideally um, not burdening your partner every, every night when you come home from work or, or um, you know, the same person all the time, uh, being able to talk through a problem can really, can really address that. So there's always something you can do. The second one is, is confidence. You know, really do a self-analysis, do a little inventory. Do you use language that supports, you know, a worldview that says we can do this? I know I can. Or are you the one to say, oh, we did that before, can't do that. Oh, we tried that, that won't work. You know, oh, that's too hard. You know, mm-hmm. just do a little inventory and reflection of what kind of language you're using because your the level of confidence is represented in the in the, the words that you choose. Right. It's um, it's funny, Maria. I just want to I want to comment on that. The language we use, I don't think we even realize how much negative talk goes on and we don't even hear it anymore in ourselves. And by thinking those negative thoughts, right, our thoughts become reality, that you do poison the air around you to some extent. I remember when my kids were little, um, something new they would learn at school, and they would come home, this is impossible, I can't do it. And when I first heard that, it, it, it took me back, and I thought, oh, my God, they don't, they don't think they can do this. Like, how could they not? They're brilliant. You know, they're really intelligent kids. I remember that this word, my older one especially, can't, can't, can't. But one day I said to him, you know what? I'm tired of that word. So when you walk in this house, that word can't does not exist. You can tell me I choose not to do that or I choose not to try that. I'm okay with that. I want to know why you don't want to try, but I'm certainly okay with it. But don't tell me you can't when you haven't even tried because that's in your mind and, and you're defeating yourself. So you, you failed by saying the word can't, it does not exist. And any, so then he would come in and he, and he would hesitate and I go, yes, what did you want to say? And got him to think twice before using that word can't. And I think, you know, I mean, I'm sure I do it too. We all yeah. do it when you don't hear it anymore. You can't change what you don't know is there. So to challenge people, and, and I'll give you an example. When I train and I do coaching, I, I teach managers coaching skills, and they say, well, my employee, you know, she's really good at, but her weakness is. As soon as I hear weakness, my whole spine gets really tight. And they say to them, going forward, we never use the word weakness. How, how horrible that sounds. you weak. You stink, right? I said, how about if we say you're really, really good at this, and these are some of the areas we have yet to develop. Doesn't that sound so much better? Wouldn't you like someone to approach you in that way? And they go, oh, yeah. So whenever I hear them say weakness, I look at them and they go, area to develop. I go, good girl or good guy. That's it. Exactly. So if no one calls us on it, we don't know that we're even saying it. So I just love that you commented because beware of the language, the words, and stop when you're going to use a negative, the cannot, the can't, don't, et cetera, and think, how can I – say what I want to say, but using positive imagery or positive words, it, it really becomes very visual and impactful. 
Yeah, well, absolutely. What you're identifying a, a, a few things. I mean, these are um, habits of speech, right? Yeah, that, that yeah. are that that we're not conscious to. So it's the becoming aware and having that insight. Oh, yeah, I undermine myself. Like just simply the way I frame that. Oh, listening to it said in both the different ways. Really, I do feel the difference. And then becoming aware and integrating, you know, more and more language that supports you or positions other, others um, to, to succeed or to grow or to learn or to be more open. And the other thing you, I, I want to comment on now is that the leadership role is no longer decision maker. Either the CEO cannot make the decisions. Uh, anymore. There's too much information. It's too complex. Everyone yeah, sure. is making decisions and coordinating decisions and 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 um and and working through decisions, you know, in generally highly matrixed organizations. So that that's over. What the leader's role is is primarily to host, facilitate, convene these conversations, to convene the communities of um, uh, stakeholders, internal, external, cross-functional, you know, cross-project, however, you know, to really step back and map that big picture, infrastructure of conversations. I like to say it's the invisible infrastructure of the organization, the conversations we have. And so that is the leader's role. And you really need very skilled, again, developed and mature uh, mindsets. And that doesn't mean necessarily age. Um, uh, I see that many of the emergent leaders, I'm going to say 30s, 40s, are really keen. Uh, They've been exposed to systems thinking. They've been exposed to looking at complex networks, et cetera. And so they're, they're just as ready as someone who's got another 10 or 15 years of experience experience, um, um, uh, you know, in the field. And obviously some of the new, uh, you know, emergent uh, um, entrepreneurs who are thinking similarly with a mindset, you know, that maturity is a mindset and it's a way of, of, it's a value-based mindset as well. Uh, the, the third thing, though, I want to go back because I, the competency, I said that you can do something each day by, you know, Again, reflecting and doing an inventory on on confidence and, and how you're using language to convey confidence or to undermine efforts. But the competency is something everybody should be doing every day, learning something, keeping your brain awake and alive. And that might be a uh, reading a journal, a, a book, taking a class, sitting in on a, a think tank session, um, sitting in on another project. Um, maybe completely unrelated and seeing how they problem solve, whatever it is, every day can be building that competency. And um, that that makes a crucial difference. Yeah, and, and it's our responsibility to learn. There's, you know, we, we said it before, you said there's so much information. You know, CEOs certainly need help because there's no way you can process the amount of information that's at our fingertips due to technology. With that said, it's still your responsibility to pick that topic or whatever it is that you want to learn about or that maybe is your area to develop and then commit to that and commit to learning, you know, and challenge yourself because you have to challenge your own boundaries in order to grow. And I think people are afraid of that change. You know, the word change freaks people out, um, you know, to the nth degree. 
Um, yes, I want to ask. Looking well, at cat videos, I'm sorry. Looking at cat videos can calm you down. <laughs> this, I guess the, the researchers and I just saw that on the internet the other day. So great. That's so how funny. Much time yes. Are you dedicating, yes. How much time are you dedicating to doing that? You know, is that in lieu of reading a book? Is that in lieu of of um, doing something that might bring some richness? Think sure. in, in terms of being plugged in, we really all have to step back and decide if if that's really as enriching as we think it is. Sure, absolutely. Now that we have a couple more minutes in this segment, um, can you talk about the elements? that support the calm confidence and competency. Yeah. So calm confident competency are the are, are the clusters that are are really the characteristics of of uh, a leader. But how to get there? Um the roadmap for us includes the following four elements. A, a really good leader, and by that I mean leading at every level, wherever you are, um, uh, being a citizen of the world and being a participant in a team or being the CEO. It's being really clear about um, your values. Mm-hmm. What's important to you? You know, Do you believe that it's important to bring people to the table, or do you um, uh, believe that only a few people – can make a decision. What are your values? Because that, um, your values are going to be mapped into everything. And then what is your vision? What, what is the vision for what um, is to be? Well, you know, for change, for creating something new, for making improvements, for alleviating pain, for um, uh, improving how um, uh, we achieve outcomes. What's the vision? Um, and then uh, your voice. How do you articulate and join, uh, articulate your ideas while joining into conversations of real meaning, hosting, facilitating, participating in these conversations, being active and articulate in your field? And then finally, velocity. Uh, we, don't, we have very big problems to solve. We, don't, we can't wait forever. So how do we speed it up? But I would say that for us, velocity is by improving the quality of those conversations and our interactions by building trust-building um, relationships with others and by having extensive networks that function as communities around, you know, wholly owned uh, problems to be solved, and whether it's the environment, whether it's uh, the, the schism in the economy right now, um, around um, uh, around um, have and have not. These are social problems that are also corporate problems, environmental problems, etc. So vision, values, voice, and velocity link to not only profit, but the social bottom line, social benefit, environmental impact, the triple bottom line, if you will, the triple ROI. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and to me, what you just described is clarity. If we have the vision and the values clearly, I think your voice, it becomes easier to speak about that topic, the importance, whatever, you know, again, the clarity comes through. And then with that, you're wasting less time and that's that velocity. So I think clarity is just so important in this topic 
just the whole topic that we're talking about today. So I absolutely, and it's woven yeah. into each of those: getting clear about yeah. your vision, clear about your values, having clarity yeah. in, in in what you articulate, how you participate in the conversations, and then and then accelerating the impact and accelerating the absolutely. collaborations. I love learning. it. So I just want to do a recap, and then we're going to take a break. So. For leaders, we need to be calm, confident, and competent. There are three big buckets. And then the elements that support each of those is that vision, values, voice, and velocity, and clarity with all of them um, will make you calmer, confident, and competent. Right there. That's exactly right. If you're doing those things, that's the outcome that, that you're going to achieve. Absolutely. Yeah, you're kicking some butt. Right when you're doing that, you're kicking some butt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Maria, let's that. take one last break. And then when we come back, I want to talk about the word mindfulness and speak on that as how to implement change. Um, again, I mentioned that before. I know the word change. Everybody kind of freaks out. We don't want to change. We like things the way they are. So how can we take that mindfulness, that's a hot word lately, and use that for the implementation of change? So quick break, and then we'll talk about that. A speaker has little value to an audience unless you, the listener, is motivated and empowered to change. Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates is a renowned speaker and is an architect of change. Consultations, training, seminars, and speaking engagements are the venues where she affects change. Whether your responsibilities include customer service, sales, marketing, training, executive management, or ownership, and you are seeking change in your organization, then you need to hire Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Connie doesn't just fill your ears with rhetoric. She speaks to the heart and success of your business. So next time you need to hire a speaker, don't hire someone that just talks. Hire an architect of change, Connie Whitman. Just ask for Connie by calling 732-888-1420. That's 732-888-1420. Or email Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. Okay. We are back with Maria Setio, and we are talking about really corporate conversations and how to drill down and get a better, more clear vision for the organization, really organizational development overall and what that roadmap looks like. So the next thing, Maria, is um, the information, the word mindfulness is thrown around a lot lately. How can we use that to really affect and implement change that will stick? Well, I think mindfulness is is important um, in as a concept and as a practice, as long as it doesn't get co-opted. Um, so, in order to implement change, what we're really talking about when you're talking about change is that there's a moment of obsolescence. There's a a, a, a moment of feeling lost. A moment where what you did before that made you successful. It's no longer what will make you successful now. And maybe it's unclear as to what success looks like and if you will be a part of it. So that, that obsolescence is built into change because something, something different is about to emerge. And, and reemergence is part of pulling the story together or remapping um, what you're experiencing or want to experience into language so that it can be shared with others. So that whole cycle of obsolescence and reemergence is built into change. And we can't underestimate the effect of that 
on our psyches, on our emotions. So mindfulness allows us and practices allow us to be still in that sense of emptiness, in the void, if you will. And by practicing that, and however you do that, uh, again, the label of mindfulness, I think, can be really counterproductive because if it looks like a tool to be used to an outcome, it really it really undermines the real value of mindfulness to support us to evolve um, collectively and um, and individually in our own psyches. So I, I want to set that aside. But any practice that allows you to sit and become more comfortable with this sense of not knowing, this sense of not necessarily belonging this sense of open um, uncertainty, that is only going to benefit everyone because it allows us to tame the anxiety and the worry that often escalates, you know, out of the gate and effectively keeps us from exploring different avenues, different opportunities, new possibilities, and new perceptions of who we are at the identity level. My own self-story, your self-story, collectively our story as a business, as a team, et cetera. And there's a lot of power in that. So while I, I don't want to see it labeled and sold on a shelf, I, I do hope to encourage and I certainly use many of the practices myself and use them with my clients to really anchor and find that, that, that sweet spot of emptiness that allows us to navigate in an uncertain and complex and sometimes, you know, scary world. Absolutely. That's for sure. Now, what about, you know, you have, we have, okay, change, people freak, all of those things, and we want to move on. We want to change the whole organizational mantra, culture, whatever it is that the folks listening are trying to say, we need to do that, or this is something that we, we should explore further. You're always going to have those naysayers around you. You know, it happens in our personal life and it happens at work because change, they go, no, that's working. What? It's good is good enough. Why are, we, why are we messing with something that's working? That's crazy, right? So you have these naysayers. What tips can you share so that we can create a way to break through to those naysayers so that they in turn have those, what, you know, aha moments that Oprah calls it. But, you know, how can we get those breakthroughs? Naysayers are saying nay for a reason. There's fear, there's concern, there's worry. And maybe, in fact, very often, it's based in a real experience. Because when you talk to people, and I talk to people all the time, as I'm sure you do, and they tell me their stories, some of the stories are quite harsh. And so over time, they're taught not to go, you know, near the flame. And so those naysayers, um, you know, are they cynical? Well, I love a cynic because that means you care. True. So what happened? That turned that around. What can we do to turn it around now? What needs to be different? Um, I'm more concerned about people who don't say anything. Right. right. The silent silent naysayers. Yeah, the silent naysayers. Just just absent, just checking out for their own safety, their own whatever, however they've maybe been acculturated, whatever their experience is, they're just not going to engage. 
for me, that's a lot harder than engaging with someone who may be cynical or outright saying, no, this isn't going to work. Let's engage in dialogue. That's an opportunity to build a bridge to a much more meaningful conversation. So I expect that. I think it's healthy when I see it. Great. Let that be the portal into a different quality of discussion and interaction and an open exploration. And inevitably, many of the people who were the strongest naysayers or cynics become the strongest proponents and advocates and ambassadors in a changing environment when you bring everybody to the table and you institute some of these participatory management practices. Yeah, it's so funny. I, years and years and years ago, when I first started my career, and I was um, part of the, the investment team at one of one of the local banks, and I met with clients who had assets that were just in CDs and cash and stuff like that, and I would meet with them and see if an annuity or an investment, a mutual fund, et cetera, might be more beneficial, especially if they were saving for retirement and they were in their 30s or 40s. Anyway, I remember this one young lady in one of my branches. She would never refer anybody to me. And little by little, I would just sit with her and hang out and ask about the kids and what have you. And I would share a success story with, yeah, I go, you want to hear something really cool? And, you know, so-and-so at the other branch, you know, she had this client, and I would start to share profiles with her. And with, but just in conversation, we would just chit-chat and have a cup of coffee. Well, what ended up happening is she started to hear the success of others and thought, well, I have a client like that, and I have a client like that. So finally, we started talking, and I, she said, you know, I have someone like that once. And I said, well, have you ever said anything? No, I don't even know what to say. I said, you know what, just try this, this one little sentence, and see where it goes, and then just say, I'll call them, and then I'll do the rest. All right, you game? She's like, I'm game. We started with that. She, be, she, was, she had never referred to me. The next year, she was one of the top referrers. So just by stopping and having a conversation, and she was afraid. She, she was one of the silent naysayers. She was always lovely to me, pleasant to me, happy to see me, but never gave me a referral. So I thought, she doesn't buy into me. She's afraid. She, she doesn't know what it is. So through our conversations, not only did I teach her about what each thing was, I made recommendations to her portfolio that, we, you know, there was no money in it for me or anything, just to truly help her prepare for her retirement. And she had grandkids and all of this. And she became one of my best referrers. And it all started with just a cup of coffee and, and shooting the breeze about, hey, you know, I have a really cool story for you. And I would share it. I and think then she that's, started uh, you know, that's, I think people can, can relate to that and probably have any stories. I know we have to close in, and there is one thing that I think is really important to share with everyone before we do, Connie. And that's that I've said that, you know, there are fears, there are legitimate fears very often and that keep people from showing up. But at the end of the day, we have to get over those fears. (laughs) The world won't wait for everyone to get comfortable. We have to learn to be uncomfortable with each other and still step in and figure it out. That's why that self-work of calm, competent, confident development is so important because the alternative is much worse. If you fear having a conversation with somebody sitting in the next cubicle with you or with your boss, imagine uh, the, your organization not thriving, not surviving. Imagine, you know, the impact of, Um, whole businesses that don't succeed because the new paradigm for doing business 
like it or not, I didn't decide it, is that it has to happen very quickly, very effectively, and also at reduced cost. So you can get there by engaging in really dynamic, fruitful, mature you know, uh, conversations and communities of interaction where you are looking to bring as much to the table as you can so that you are a valued member and looking to support your colleagues in the best ways you can so that they are valued members and get into a winning cycle or through fear shut down and know that without a doubt you will not succeed. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah we have to embrace change. And when you're uncomfortable, that's when your greatness really comes through. And that's where you become the 2.0, I call it the 2.0 version of yourself or the 3.0 version of yourself, right? So we have to, and, and I'm laughing. Well, I want to say, Connie, you can, but that's a choice. That's you a choice. can become that, that exactly you can right. develop, or you can shut down and you can also become, exactly right. uh, you know, um, uh, non-relevant or, or, or damaging to others or yeah. manipulative or, you know, all of the things, the, the, um, the characteristics we don't describe as good yeah. leaders. Yeah, it's, it's really true. Stay relevant. And the only way to remain relevant in your organization so that you don't have to look for another job or whatever the things that fear is holding you back from doing, you're making yourself irrelevant, which is, is even worse. And, and I love it, Maria. It all starts with a conversation challenging your comfort zone and just having a conversation that, you know, talk about the elephant in the room. It's not a bad thing. It exposes a lot and a lot gets done once we do identify, you know, whatever it is that makes us uncomfortable. Um, Our time is up. And I really hope everyone that listened today that the conversation provides some pretty cool framework for you to go and explore changes that may need to happen in not only, not only your corporate life, but I think a lot of the stuff, Maria, we talked about today can impact your personal um, communication as well and make for Absolutely. a nicer, right? It, it, it goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're we not like the persona at work, and then we come home and we're a different person. You're still the same person. Yeah, I would, exactly. I would right. say go forth and, and sow some pleasant surprises, maybe with your yeah. kids, maybe yeah. you know, with your partner. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. right? Some really cool things might happen. Now, if you'd like to connect with um, Maria, again, her website, and this will all be on the Web Talk Radio platform, is www.corptalkonline.com. And her email address is msedio, S-E-D-D-I-O, at corptalkonline.com. Again, I'll have that all posted. Um, Maria, thank you again so much for being on the show and your insight, and I love the tips. Uh, everyone calm, confident, and competent, and that's supported by vision, values, voice, and velocity. So thank you for those tips, Maria, and for being such an awesome guest. Much appreciated. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you, Connie. And thank you all for joining me today. You've been listening to Architect of Change with me, your host, Connie Whitman, on webtalkradio.net. Thanks, and have a wonderful, wonderful, exciting week, and change something. Pick a little thing to work on and go have a really uh, engaging conversation. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. You've been listening to The Architect of Change with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Thank you for tuning in. We're glad you were here. Stop it.